I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you Dr. Michael Gervais is a high-performance psychologist working in the trenches of the high-stakes environments with some of the best in the world, training the mindset skills and practices essential to pursuing and revealing one's potential. His clients include world record holders, Olympians, internationally acclaimed artists and musicians, MVPs from every major sport, and Fortune 100 CEOs. He is fresh off his work at the Olympics with the U.S. surfing team, which took home a gold medal, and he discusses the lessons that he learned there. This is a deep conversation covering the timeless principles Mike has uncovered. If you want to be a high performer, which if you're listening to this podcast is probably you. Mike was originally a guest on episode 187, which we recommend checking out. For listeners of What Got You There, Michael and Pete Carroll, the head coach of the Seattle Seahawks, are giving away an all-access pass to their Compete to Create course, which Sean has taken and thinks is exceptional for any high performer helping to uncover their best self. If you want to be entered into the giveaway, click the link in the show notes and enjoy this deep conversation. For the high performers looking to improve their leadership abilities, listen up and get ready to discover the path to becoming a better version of yourself. Let's face it, the best leaders, they're always on the hunt for insights, wisdom, looking for ways to get better, ways to make other people better. They see the gap between who they are and who they could be. For three decades, thousands of the world's most elite leaders have turned to admired leadership for insights, for the behaviors and routines of true leadership excellence, how to make decisions, build relationships, how to motivate and inspire. Now, for the first time, these rare insights are available online. Admired Leadership has this incredible video platform that focuses on 10 areas that are critical for all leaders. In each video module, you'll learn the 10 specific behaviors of the very best leaders. I've had the pleasure of taking this course, and it is hands down the best course I have ever taken on leadership. If you're looking to better yourself or raise up the team or company you're working with, then you have to check out Admired Leadership. I'm also excited about the new Admired Leadership Field Notes email. This is a daily email from the front lines of leadership. It's free, and even better, when you sign up, you'll get a special 16-page guide to motivation and inspiration that will change the way you lead. So you need to ask yourself the question, are you ready to become an even better leader? If so, find out more at admiredleadership.com. This podcast is all about uncovering the lessons and wisdom high performers are using to better their life, and one of the most important elements of high performance is your sleep. That's why I'm thrilled to tell you about 8Sleep. 8Sleep is revolutionizing what a great night of sleep means. The Pod Pro by 8Sleep is the most advanced solution on the market. And what it does is the Pod Pro has dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking so you know the exact amount and quality of the sleep you're getting. It comes in the form of both a mattress or a cover you can put on your existing mattress. Get the pod and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees for those people who were like a nice chilly room or mattress and as hot as 110 degrees. I'm one of the fans of the cooler mattress, so this is perfect for me. The temperature of the Pod Pro will adjust each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment for you. 
So what's the result of all this? Eight sleep users fall asleep 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get an overall more restful night of sleep. The Pod Pro by Eight Sleep is so popular as garnered the attention from CEOs, pro athletes, and overall high performers like yourself. Go to eightsleep.com forward slash Sean to check out the Pod Pro and save $150 at checkoff. That's eightsleep.com forward slash Sean. Mike, welcome to what got you there. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. Thank you for including me in your community. Yeah, no, this is great. We uh, we originally had you on it just over a year ago on episode 187. And, and this one, we're going to cover more and just dive even deeper. But I have to know, just, just fresh off the Olympics, you're flying back on that long flight. Like, what's going on in your head? What are you thinking? Like, what are you unpacking from, from the time there? Yeah, thank you for giving me a moment to reflect again. The games are special. It, it really is like no other event in that you've got the world's greatest athletes in one place. And I've been fortunate enough to work across a couple of them, this being the third summer games. And the last two summer games, there's something that takes place, is that you're, when you're with a team, the team makes some sort of decision about what we are going to do between the gap of practice and maybe a, a nighttime meetings, you know, or maybe a second practice at night. And sometimes a game, you know, depending on where they are. So we make a decision what we're going to do with our, call it downtime, but it's, uh, it's never really a downtime. And some teams are like, hey, listen, family's here. Go see some other tournaments or some other games. Go see, you know, some friends that are competing. And some teams say, no, 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 let's, let's like create a bubble. And this is in London and this is, you know, uh, prior to in Rio as well. And in this games, there was no choice. So... So some athletes that had been to previous games had a really hard time because they couldn't go out. There was no family. There was no support system. They couldn't go see their friends compete. They, they didn't have the opportunity to see some inspired athletes do their thing. And it was down to the kitchen or to the, uh, uh, to the cafeteria, eat some meals, you know, have some team meetings, and then wait. And now I had a different experience because I went with surfing this year which was the sport I grew up in, which was awesome. It was incredible. So uh, we created a bubble and it was 14 of us in um, a place that was 90 minutes out of Tokyo. And we brought in a chef, two chefs actually. We brought in all of the right uh, skilled folks to be able to help the athletes be in their prime. Mm -hmm. And we had an amazing, (laughs) I mean, like, I mean, it was amazing because we had this tight bubble and there was lots of rich, meaningful, purposeful, you know, and casual, nonsensical conversations that were happening, you know, on in the lounge chairs in the cafe in our uh, living room, if you will. It was great. And so these games I had a marked, markedly different experience for the world's best athletes, just like COVID reflected that there's a markedly different experience for uh, people across the planet, you know. Frontline workers had a very different experience than, than white-collar executives. And uh, so I think it was a, uh, a true reflection of the conditions that we have right now. And it was hard, and it was wonderful. 
Speaking of those different experiences, you, you mentioned taking place in three different summer games. If we're looking at like your progression personally, what, what's the difference between those three? Even if you're going to give them like I, one of the questions you gr- you're great at is like, if you had different chapter headings for this, what are the three different games like for you? No, that's cool. Um, obviously the first is learning and excitement, you know, so I was really, I was learning. I felt like as much as, um, they were receiving and, um, I still think that that's the case in the last one, but there was a different nature to the learning because I hadn't seen it before. I hadn't, there's no way to really get your arms around what it means to be in those environments. And so world championships don't compare. And so that was London. And then um, Rio was, what would I say a chapter heading? Uh, Rio was complicated. Mm-hmm. And Rio was complicated for a couple of reasons. I, went, I was with USA Women's Volleyball and best in the world. And we ended up, I, I would say, underperforming. We took a bronze. And the reason I say underperformed is because there was much more talent and um, it wasn't fully expressed. So it's complicated from that nature, just not, and it came down to literally two points, you know, in a, uh, a series of probably, I would say, I don't know, 250 points that were scored throughout the tournament. Two points determined the difference for us between gold and, and bronze. And so that was one. And then the other complications, I was supporting two teams, um, beach, uh, women's beach and women's uh, indoor volleyball. And so it was about a, an hour distance between. So I was shuffling back and forth in, um, as best as I could. So it was complicated. And we also were managing Zika. I don't know if you remember that. But there was a, you know, so there was these external conditions that were taking place. And so that one's complicated. And this one was like pure joy, mm-hmm. you know, being part of surfing, being in the bubble. Um, the intensity was real and wonderful. But I would say this one was so joyful for a number of reasons is that um, all the pre-work that we did ahead of time, and this is materially important for anyone running a business, it was the planning and pre-work and people that made all the difference. And so... I think whether it's wonderful that one of our athletes, Chris Amore, took home a gold, and that is fantastic. I mean, that is a major objective, and it's hard to do. Uh, the USA, USA had 39 golds when it was said and done, and so you know to get one of them is, is a big deal. And I think, though, the, the experience was so meaningful for all involved that even if we didn't have that incredible win, that the experience was really rich. And so there's a, a deep joy that was part of the camp. And so those are the, those would be the, the big headers. Oh, that's so cool. You highlight the pre-work. We, we've got to double click on that. Yeah. And I, I would love to know just like what's going through your head when you're describing that clearly the, there's the impact there. Yeah. So there's from an organizational structure standpoint, there are, uh, there's probably about five people that were weighing in and making a difference to execute against the pre-work. And the pre-work came from the structure. So our head of surfing, the the director of USA Surfing, uh, put a ton of resources and energy and intelligence into creating an environment, a physical environment, where people could do their very best work. And so uh, there was no stone unturned, and there was uh, incredible uh, scrappiness for resources to have the right stuff there. And so they, le- they leaned on their partners in important ways and to have the right stuff. And, and I'm talking about from a physical modalities, um, 
psychological skill stuff that we were able to do ahead of time, uh, having all the equipment and cold tubs and hot tubs and the right types of showers and the right types of bedding. So we had one of our partners brought in um, uh, mattress tops that were unbelievable compared to the ones that uh, some of the other folks were, were struggling with. So all, and I'm kind of skipping over a lot, but there's a, there's there was the thoughtfulness about the pre-planning to get ahead of things that potentially could go wrong. And they did a great job at it. What I love about that is all of the people working behind the scenes, I, I feel like there's this energy the athletes feel yeah. and they understand that team commitment. It's, it's, like, it's like the energy of the wheel. It's between the spokes, right, in the center. And it's like that work that everyone's bought in, everyone's doing, it has such an impact. And it's, it's just so cool to hear like your direct-hand experience. And I'm wondering, like, what do you only learn by like fully being immersed in that environment? Like you could read about it. You could, you could watch like a, an E60, but until you're there, you, you just don't learn the lessons you took away this time. When, when you're around the best in the world at what they do, there is a different language that is spoken and you get to shorthand a lot. It's kind of like folks that come back from, you know, a military experience and they're in the theater or um, folks that as a community have gone through something really heavy, you know, like an earthquake or, um, I, I mean, I'm, I, what I'm thinking right now is because I'm influenced by a woman who her family went to gen, uh, went through a genocide experience and um, a whole generation of people was lost, were lost. 200 people in her family were are, are dead. And so when she talks about how they process that, there's a shorthand. So I'm using it on the other side to talk about sport, but there is a, there's a language. So you say, Hey, how, you know, how was, uh, what, let me give an example. When two of the elders that did survive would say something like, um, Hey, what happened? You know, three years after we got back and whatever, whatever. And there's a shorthand where they'd say, you know, I survived that. Or mm-hmm. that was a tough one. That was a tough winner. And it's a shorthand for like, Hey, I got challenged. I was on my knees. I didn't know what to do. I was scared out of my mind. Like things weren't right for me. And so that is in one part of the human experience that when you go through something hard and difficult, there's a shorthand that only those people in those experiences can really understand. And I have such regard for the experience that of humanness. And then on the other hand, to not make light of that in any way, there is a, a shared language between world's best where there's certain looks, there's certain phrases, there's certain gestures, there's certain timings of things that, um, I don't know how to put words to it, but that is part of it as well. So an example is when knowing how to understand kind of the, I'm going to shorthand it and call it vibe, but that's not quite the right word, but it's understanding the, the energy of the people. And I don't want to sound woo woo because I'm standing on the shoulder of great scientists. And this is, I feel like I'm making a departure using the word energy, but um, there's an energy between people. And great plan might be to do some sort of team experience, but the energy is weird and it's off. So there's the, the getting ahead of that versus 
missing it downstream. So if you get ahead of it, you can actually help influence the environment towards and the people towards some sort of state or to explore that state at a deeper level. And then, but if you're downstream of it, it is um, kind of disastrous, you know? And so it's like, you want to, you want to be able to, and everyone's doing it because they're so primed and they're so switched on that there's a sensitivity about readiness and repair that is really unique. So it's constantly figuring out that difference between recovery, you know, repair mode and that readiness coiled up strike mode. And it's toggling between those that is really intense because the best in the world, they know that they're the best in the world or really close to potentially being, being the absolute best because that's what competition is about. You don't really know. And um, there's this really interesting confluence between anxiousness and, and competence and Ooh, so, about that. yeah, uh, that, that dissonance and that, that, that confluence between the two yeah, is that what makes sport wonderful and ultimately what makes life wonderful is that we don't know how it's going to go. Hmm. And when you want to know how it's going to go and you know that if it doesn't go according to plan, there's going to be pain on the other side, maybe financial pain, um, likely emotional pain for many. And that becomes so challenging to folks that it kicks up all the ancient parts of our brain that are going into survival mode. And at the, in the same very, or the next breath, I should say, there's a deep knowing that the competence is world-leading, world-class. And so it's that toggling between the two that is really tricky for folks. And if we can go, again, I'll use the analogy upstream, if we can go upstream and really work from a, in a purposeful, grounded way that the not knowing is actually quite exciting. And I'm not talking about some pithy thing that you'd see on Instagram, like, you know, reframe this or whatever. Like, I'm not talking about that, but like really make a fundamental first principle shift that the unknown is actually the most exciting part of life. When the unknown creates anxiousness for people, that's one of the reasons we have a disorder, a mental disorder. And I say this as a trained psychologist of clinical anxiety and people that are struggling with pre-performance anxiety, <laughs> masked maybe as other types of anxiety, is that uh, you know what they're really looking for is relief. And folks that are looking for relief, it's really hard to do one's very best when you're trying to create a... a and escape away from the intensity required to do your very best work. And that holds true in living rooms, that holds true in boardrooms, that holds true in any competitive environment. If you're looking for relief, you'll probably miss the good stuff. And why do we look for relief? Is because we are uncertain, because the uncertainty that is unfolding right in front of us is uh, scarier than exciting. And that is a psychological construct. And so there's the framing of it going upstream. How do I think about the unknown, the unfolding, unpredictable unknown? And then do I have the psychological skills to meet that when it is unfolding? And the beautiful part of the human experience is that it's always unfolding right now. Mm -hmm. Like, Jesus, dude, I, I have no idea what I'm about to say. So, you know, <laughs> it's always unfolding. 
No, I, I love it. I, I, I want to unpack this even more because I didn't have this reference how I operate now when I, when I was playing elite athletics. So before yeah. it's like you, you set the situation and then you set expectations. And then if the outcome doesn't align with those expectations, there's disappointment, there's frustration. Where now it's going to the unknown. And the way I approach it is like from this place of curiosity, like I don't know what's going to happen, but let's see. It's, it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. I'm wondering how you approach that, like specifically, like we can map this out on a piece of paper, but then like, what's the internal dialogue going on in Mike's head? Well, okay. So you're hitting one of the great anecdotes and inoculators, one of the great states to be in as a curious mind. And if you can, and if it is authentic to you and it's real and it's not something like, you know, someone told me to be curious, so I'm going to try to be curious. Um, it is so freeing. And so I, I do a couple things. One is when I was, um, so you're, you're, there's some research around the ACT model, acceptance, commitment, training, or acceptance, commitment theory. And um, that model has found great evidence that curiosity is a really important framework to go to think about the future. And that concept has also been around 2,500 years, like the childlike Buddha, like the, the part of being a Buddha is a childlike mind and being relentlessly, uncommonly exploratory, curious about how things work and how they come together. So that's all really good as a first person experience. Like a, like if you play a video game, there's a the first person view where you're kind of in the car, right? If you will. And then yep. you could zoom up to the helicopter view and the helicopter view experience of what we're talking about is kind of getting the big picture. And zooming up and seeing how the actors uh, in the experience are taking place, and from the big picture, depending on how what altitude you go to, one of my mentors as a young, when I was like fifteen, I think I was more like seventeen, he gave me an incredible gift. He said, "You know, Mike, he was flying like at you know two hundred thousand feet, not thirty thousand, right? And he f- flew way up. And he goes, you know, Mike, um, you're 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 really special, and." you don't really matter that much. And it, I looked at him like, whoa, wh- wh- what kind of turn did you just take us on? And he goes, yeah, you know, we've been around for you know thousands and thousands and thousands of years. You know, and then they reminded me of some of the greats. He goes, you know, um, yeah, Jesus changed the world and set the calendar and uh, kind of put a tall, call, tall stake in the ground about how important love is. And he did that by 33. You know, like... And that, that was 2,000 years ago, by the way, dude. And, uh, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, people were figuring out fire. How about it? You know, so like, so like, figure some stuff out, dude. Like, don't be so wrapped up in yourself. And at the same time, know that there's a specialness about you. And that specialness is available for all people. And so that's kind of the tension, the duality, non-duality between the two is like, you matter, you know, Sean. And at the same time, like, Jesus, like, man, there's, there's a lot to do in this world that, you know, we're like this, how many galaxies are there right now that we think could have human life? Like it's mind boggling. So it's keeping all that in perspective. That's a 200,000 foot view. And then zooming right down into like the 30,000 foot view is, is something like a, uh, we're all going home win or lose with our loved ones. You know, like this is not, uh, sport was born out of war preparation for war. And when war goes wrong for one tribe or the other, one community or the other, uh, the, 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 the tribe is taken hostage and 
you know, taken ownership of and children and women and whatever, you know, the men that are, are tending to the tribe are, 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 are killed, raped, uh, taken possession. So, hey, let's remember this is still a sport. This is still a luxury. This is a, um, a wonderful way to experience life. So let's keep that in perspective. And if, I don't know if you've been in like a locker room post a loss when it seemed really big. You've had probably yeah. plenty of those, right? In your sporting. Oh, yeah. What happens? Like what happens to that perspective? It's almost as, as if you can't show that, that you're okay after a loss because it's this weird code, the shared language that I was talking about of a, of a particular culture. Like if you're okay, like I was nine years with um, Seattle Seahawks. And if you're okay on Monday after Sunday's game, that sends a signal like you're not okay or that you don't care. Sorry that you don't care. Yeah. And so I remember thinking that that was going to be a really nice, important piece of work. If we could have Mondays feel appropriately matched to the experience that we just felt and the excitement of what's to come. So appropriately matched, meaning that nobody died. Right. And so we still have this incredible opportunity to live our life um, aligned on a shared mission. And that mission hopefully matters to everybody in, in, you know, there's some, there's a little bit of an equalizer, you know, there's a menu, some people care more than others, but to come and have that appropriately matched care and not be, have to have this doom and gloom life is over thing. So anyways, um, I'm down in the weeds with some, you know, some Monday morning experiences as opposed to the 200,000 view of, uh, you matter, Sean. And no, 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 I, and not. <laughs> no, no, no I, I absolutely love it. I'm actually curious about this whole perspective on Monday. And I, I feel like one of the things we do is we let our internal be so affected by the external. And it kind of sounds like that's the scenario. Like even if you're feeling something, you're not expressing it on Monday. How do you, how do you handle that? Like how, how do you not allow the external to impact the internal to the degree most of us allow it to? I think that you're hitting on the essence of the inner work, which is like, you build over time the right frameworks, um, the right walls, the right internal structures, the right windows. You know, I'm thinking about in my mind like a really strong based uh, skyscraper. Like when you build that from a psychological standpoint, it just it just ends up happening that way. There's a sense of freedom in that I can sway in the wind, I can be locked and grounded. You know, um, in a way that doesn't get pushed around. And a, a more appropriate analogy versus a, uh, a skyscraper is more like an, an ancient tree that has deep roots. And this is one of the reasons I love the aspen trees is because th- those roots are actually not deep, but they're so intertwined and interconnected with other, with other trees that it is one tree. And so I love the aspen analogy for humanity is that we are really connected, both from a it's going to sound weird, but the stardust standpoint, but also from, you know, the shared experiences in psychology. So to answer your question is when you do the deep internal investment training, who am I, what am I, what are the skills? uh, um, I'm sorry, who am I, what am I, uh, what is my purpose in life? And um, what are the skills I need to experience life in the meaningful way that that, that, that is the essence of psychology. You know, if I make it even more simple, it's self-discovery and psychological skills, those two core components. And I can't imagine 
why I really have a hard time with this, Sean. Like, why? This is not this is not a question for you or me, but why do we not invest in in psychology? You know, like what, what how did we get this so wrong that it's been so taboo for for centuries? Like, think about your parents, your grandparents, and their grandparents. Like, psychology was like for the weak. Yeah. And I mean, I've got a logical answer, but you know, like, I just have a hard time understanding why we're not investing properly. And so, it's not hard, Sean. It's really not, as you know. But it takes time, and um. The work is scary sometimes, you know, because you, you, in the self-discovery process, it's like, is that really who I am? Because I, I do lie. I do, I do this. I, there's dark sides to all of us. And, and to embrace that and to not be overrun by it. And I do get scared. And, you know, I do, I do uh, get embarrassed, even though that I don't, I don't want to show those things, but those that's true. So how do I live like in an authentic way where I have these difficult e- internal emotional experiences matched up with the way that I, I want to be, which is strong and available and, you know, like I want to be strong and kind and kick ass and be reliable and dependable and fill in the blanks. But I've also got these other things that I got to work with too. So how do I do that and be honest in a self-discovery process? That's the hard part. And then on the psychological skills, if I really want to own some psychological skills, that means I got to get on the edge and the edge is messy. To really Mm -hmm. test those skills and refine those skills, um, I'm going to have to find the razor's edge where at one point I could be calm and then I'm no fucking longer calm, (laughs) you know, like it's on. (laughs) And uh, that shit is real and it's scary. And so I think most people that are not in that shared language I was talking about with the, the Olympics or game changers in business or the arts is they, their true purpose is to look good, mm-hmm. to be accepted, you know, as opposed to a first principle of exploring the internal and the external capability that you have and that call it human flourishing, call it human potential, call it capabilities, you know, like if, what is the true first principle? And if you're honest with yourself, um, really honest with yourself, your life will change when you make that first principle true. 100%. And I I love how you highlight, like, it's hard. Like, there's some real hard, scary shit you got to face, and it takes time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you you know how much, like, your work has has impacted me. Um, And and I've I've even taken your Finding Mastery course. Uh, Oh, thank you. And and then I've I've had one of my my best friends who who reached out, and he he knew you you were coming back on, and he's like, Sean, you, you do not understand. He goes... Dr. Gervais class just like unlocked me. It was just like, it, it was hard. Like I had to do the work, but oh shit, there was something on that other side. I, I didn't even know it was in me. And it's been like so fun to watch. Like when you have people who've been in your life 20 plus years, right? And you actually get to watch that, see that shift. It's like, woo, there's something special there. So I'm saying this because- Yeah, thank you, bro. Like, yeah. he, he's not an Olympic athlete. I mean, he believe me, he's a high achiever, high performer. But it's like, it, it's in there. It's capable of us. We, we just got to do the work to get it out of us. And, and so it's been cool to see. So like, I like need to thank you too in unlocking me and other people with my life. It's just so cool to oh, see. Oh, man. Hey, um, honestly, like, thank you so much for sharing that because it, my hair's standing up right now 
um, which is, I'll tell you why that's material important in a minute, but my hair standing up because that was the hope. And the, the, the belief is that we are amazing. Humans are amazing. Yeah. Yep. And there's so much dormant potential that's in us. This was, this is my life purpose is to help people live in the present moment more often so that it, it can, they can experience the present moment is where all things that are true, beautiful, and good are experienced. It's where human potential is expressed. It's where wisdom is revealed. And because of that, it's, it, it is my life purpose to help people live in the present moment more often. And to hear that, I'm like, yeah, man. So that's how we designed it. We designed it from good science and all of the best practices that happen in that I've been fortunate enough to, to learn from and add to in elite sporting environments. And we, we put those together and then translated that for folks that are non-athletics or not in elite athletics right now. So it's business, it's parenting, it's um, arts, you know? And so um, thank you, dude. And hey, let's do this. You, you can decide how you want to activate this, but let's, um, let's share a couple of those courses um, no cost to a couple of, you know, let, let's do two of them where however you want to activate it, no cost to the course. It's $500 each um, in value. So it's $1,000 for your community to, to invest. And like, I would just, the only thing I would ask for in return is that if they enjoyed it and they found some sort of return, uh, that they pay it forward in some way, you know, by sharing the practices with somebody else in your community and um, yeah, I would, I'd, I'd be stoked to do that for you guys. That's epic. Yeah. No, Mike, I appreciate that. The, I know the listeners will, we'll, we'll have that linked up guys in the show notes. So definitely check that out. But let's do it. But, like, but hey, John, let's do it like this. Let's have a little, let's compete. Let's have, yeah. let's have them kind of show up in a way where they, they're like, listen, um, I know that there's thousands of people that are, you know, part of the Delaney crew here. And, uh, but I really want this thing, like make a case for it. You know, like, like let us feel you. And again, it's just, it's a psychological skills training course, the same way that we treat elite athletes. We give you the same good stuff. Awesome. I love it. A little competition never hurt. Mm -hmm. You, you bring up something I, I, I'm just like really obsessed with at this point. And that's kind of like that authentic self-expression yeah. through your art. That art can actually be like painting music or it can be like your athletics. I feel like I got to that place of authentic expression through my sport of lacrosse and then try to do that at this later stage. How many of the elite, and we're talking like the elite, elite performers, are all of them operating from that place that their craft is their authentic self-expression? No. Yeah, no. I mean, some folks that are best in the world are complete disasters. Mm. <laughs> you know, they're like, they're a mess. And, um, I love them anyway, you know, like that's not what this is about, but no, yeah. I, it'd be, there's, there's a gentleman that I'm thinking of right now that, um, he rolls out of bed after, you know, drinking way too much, um, you know, pizza for breakfast and, uh, burgers for dinner. And he jumps 42 inches and runs, you know, like a, a four, three, you know, without stretching, you know, four, three, 40. And so, I mean, and for folks that don't know sport, it's like, that's craziness. You know, that's like, that's not supposed to happen. So uh, sometimes when you have this radical genetic predisposition and it comes so easy, it's actually problematic to potential. And so um, he needs a better, more competitive environment to pull the best out of him. And 
but he's with the best in the world in his sport. So uh, there's a boredom that can come when, when you've got this genetic gift that is unexpressed. So um, no, not everyone's got their stuff together. And um, I've got a soft spot for folks that are um, talented enough, you know, and, and, but their will is like, you can't phase them. Like they'll keep coming. They, they're hungry for more. They're searching for more. And then when they cross over to, I trust me, I trust others. I trust that I'll figure this out. I trust that no matter what happens, I will be able to adjust even when it's hard. And I'm going to keep going, but I know how to trust. And I'm going to keep pushing and I know how to trust. When you get those two things together, so it's that you know, um, high stress work rate with intelligent recovery that is folded in with a strong community, that is folded in with a deep trust. It's like, oh, we got some. You know, mm-hmm. so those are the folks that I love to spend time with and work with. I'd rather spend time with them than the genetic freaks that um, that had it too easy too early. You know, and but the genetic freaks that have that other stuff that I just talked about, those are the world changers. You know, yeah, and scary stuff. Yeah, and I'm I'm less interested in athletics than I am in um, humanness. I'm way more Ooh. interested in humanness, and. Um, let me sh- can I share an idea with you that is like really important to me? Oh, let's, let's do it. So right now we're thinking about the future of work and I'm fortunate enough to spend some time with some of the brightest minds in the world about what the future of work is going to look like. And so we're laying some bets and we're laying bets on investing in the humanness and I got to keep some of this vague because you know I, I can't go into it right now because it's it's not fair to my partners. Okay, but we're investing in the humanness in a in a meaningful way as opposed to the old model. I'm going to call it old, but it's still current in some big businesses. And you could look at some some businesses that like are human are f- more factory driven, and the humans just kind of do your job, keep your head down, uh, next person up. And if you don't do it, listen, we're only going to pay you $6 an hour. I'm thinking globally for a moment, okay, without naming countries. We're only going to pay you $6 an hour. And if you don't, we got more people that are lined up. And we're going to squeeze every ounce. We're going to extract every ounce of your essence. Um, And we don't do not try to be creative here. Just do your job. And so um, there is a global war that is going to take place around this principle and it's the beginnings of it are taking place now where companies and countries are getting blurred. And so um, who's going to win? And it's, I, you know where I stand and I know where you stand, Sean, it's like, I know who we want to win. And I think that, um, and I really mean this in a, in a, human potential capacity, we spend so much time in, in work that if the conditions at work are the extraction model, we are failing. We know better. Science is better. We see world's best talk about it in sport and other places about the last frontier is this creative, flourishing human expression that is only available to us. 
machines cannot do it. And companies that um, are, are minimizing and exploiting the lower parts of the human experience um, and they are larger than corporations, I'm sorry, they're larger than countries. I think we got some challenges, dude. So this is me looking down the road, you know, around a couple corners for the next decade. And then we've got on the other side of it, we've got this beautiful commitment that people matter. And let's invest in the humanness of what we're doing as a shared mission. And I've been on both parts of the sporting world that have done it both ways. And business is now um, having those conversations, but the stakes are significantly higher. You, you mentioned kind of like looking down 10, 15 year, years out. Yeah. If you're looking at that model, yeah. what does that look like? Like the complete encapsulation of what that person's life is like during that time. Which time? The flourishing model or Flour- the- Exactly. Yep. No, no. <laughs> yeah, or the other one. Yeah. Let's be a bit optimistic here. Yeah. So what uh, What do you mean by that? What does is, what is their experience look like? Well, I guess it's coming because I'm really curious about how you, how you view the oscillation of life. And I know you're a hard charger. And yeah. uh, like one of the big questions is like, how do we balance all this, right? Like, I mean, you want to be a great family man and you want to be great with your career. And it's not just like, all right, this is, this is how I do it. This is how I operate. Like what's, what's truly going on underneath the surface oh, okay. to yeah. make sure we're flourishing there? Well, let me, let me answer it like um, in a really narrow way. And it's a, an important part of it, but not the complete part of it by any means. But a significant piece of this puzzle is, or this tapestry that we're trying to understand of human potential is chronic stress. So if you're not taught and we don't have the structures to reflect the, the best practices and best principles in human recovery and human stress, we will find ourselves in a, uh, in a company state or a national state of chronic stress. Sh- chronic stress is underlying and underpinning just about every disease model that we have. We created that out of what? Out of anxiousness. Why anxiousness? Because we, we're, we're not sure how to think about the future. So what do we do? We apply effort and we work. That This is part of um, people that care and are smart and are capable and they'll, they'll apply what they can to their best ability, which is hard work. And when we stop there, we run into chronic stress. When we are in a state of chronic stress, I mean, Jahan Selye did it, you know, uh, when was his model introduced? 1940? I'm blanking on the exact date. I think it was like 38, 1938, Hans Selye, where he talked about the general adaptation syndrome. And so um, when people don't respond properly, and I'm going to take some liberties to his model right now, when they don't respond properly to acute stress, there's a chronic stress. And over time, chronic stress leads to fatigue, uh, fatigue, staleness, burnout, early death. All right. (laughs) How about that as a model? So we have to get the chronic stress um, symptom right by going upstream and teaching the psychological skills that are nested and rested in in good science that that create a environment where leaders in companies are teaching the psychological skills and principles to get ahead of upstream, to get ahead of the... um, external conditions and the internal skills for people to do their best work over time. 
And if it's the company's responsibility to set the purpose, to, sh- to uh, set the scene and, and have the mission be very clear, and to train the leaders on how to, those that really understand that humans are the most valuable asset in any business, even, even whatever, fill in the blanks. And I know what I'm saying about AI, this, that, and the other, like humans are it, that it is leaders' jobs now to turn from uh, executives that are extracting and the smart ones in, in the privileged seat to that have the power and control to those that are going to set the external conditions and, the, and train the internal skills. So psychologists will inform what those best practices are along with other uh, smart folks, but executives are now going to find this switching to becoming, um, we don't have the right word, but we think it's going to be like coaches, coaches of psychological skills. And essentially that's what I would hope that folks uh, at the Seattle Seahawks might say is like, yeah, like some of the coaches might say, yeah, that's right. I'm, I have a better understanding of the psychological skills based on the work we did so that I could teach them to the athletes. And then when that happens, the whole, the whole system, you know, creates this rising tide where all boats are floating. And so I hope I'm being clear because in my mind, it's super crisp that executives go from a power control extraction model um, to a human flourishing coaching model and setting the external conditions and the internal skills for that to take place. That will address chronic stress. A two-week vacation doesn't work. Meditation every day doesn't work. It's good. Don't get me wrong. Both of those are cool. And I've been meditating for 25 years. I mean, the science and the practice of that is meaningful. But those, those alone, by the way, it's still corporations or companies saying, hey, meditation's really good. Do that later on your own time. <laughs> what later? Because I have an AM shift where I'm in meetings until 6, 6 p.m. And then I have a p.m. shift where I'm answering emails and doing the deeper work. So which shift do you want me to do it on? The p.m. shift or the a.m. shift? And so this is, build it in. And I'm speaking, yeah. I want to speak right to every leader that is listening right now. Build it in. Create the space. It will be the most massive investment you make in yourself, in your the leaders and the other folks in your company to create space to do the internal skill development work. It will be the greatest return on investment, but it's also right. It's right because that's what people are craving. We don't, we were not taught these skills in high school, in college. There was no finishing school to be a great executive, to teach these skills to others. Now's the time to do it. And so that's, that's where I want to spend um, the next chapters of my life doing just that. I love it. It actually reminds me, I, I'm going to get this person wrong. It was from the, the Finding Mastery course. And I, I want to say it was like the ex-COO of AT&T. It was, it was some big company. And he was mentioning how he spends, I think it was like two hours in the morning, like getting himself right to meditation. And it, it was either you or Coach Carroll asked him, was like, how do you find the time? He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. He goes, I don't have the time not to do that. Meaning like if he doesn't get that work in, yeah. everything else that he does the rest of the day, week, month, diminished because of that. And to your point, it's like, it's got to be built in. So I'm wondering. So Sean, Sean, can I hit you on this real quick? Yeah. yeah. So that was the the former CEO of AT&T and it was, it's on the podcast. So you can listen to the full version on the podcast. It's also in the course. And to your point, he, how can I not is his statement. And um, I had him out at a game at one of the Seahawks and we're on the sidelines and it was pregame. And I don't know if you've been to the Seattle 
um, stadium mm-hmm. before. It's one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And so I said that too lightly. It's flipping amazing. <laughs> you know, like it's on. And so we're on the sidelines and I look up and it was kind of drizzling. So we had kind of heavy jackets on and um, athletes are warming up. There's a buzz in the air. The stadium is probably at this point uh, three quarters of the way full. It sells out every stadium, 68,000 um, seats sell out. And it again, it is the loudest stadium in the NFL. So so you could feel the buzz in the air. And I said, I said, hey, John, um, uh, there's, there's 68,000 people here. How many people roll up to you? How many people do you manage? And he goes, five of these stadiums. <laughs> hey, dude. Jeez. Hey. Right? Yeah, that to me is incredible. That is so inspiring. And for him to say, how can I not invest in myself? I must be great for people. I must be my very best. I, I must be. I'm not. I'm not doing the old way of business. I'm not, you know, staying out late and throwing my hand up, saying that I am, you know, I'm a hard charger legend. I don't need sleep five hours. Let's go toughen up. That's so old. Yeah. And so the hustle 100%. hard idea, it's broken. Don't buy it. To, 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 explore, to really explore your potential, you do need to work hard and recover intelligently every day. And that is not just rest and meditation. That is psychological skills to meet the moment, this moment, with the right amount of focus, intensity, to be able to execute at your highest level with others. And it's not hard, but it takes investment. So again, I, I want to just say that that's where I want to spend the next decades of my life, like helping folks get this thing right. Cause it's been, I, I, don't know, I personally, I'd be a mess without it. <laughs> so, well, yeah. no, no I, I even want to know more about this. Like earlier on, you were talking about like building that strong foundation. And so, so you kind of hit on some of those like key frameworks for you. Anything else that you're just like, Oh no, Sean, like these are first principles. These, this is essential for me to be able to operate and give myself to the world the way I am today. I really, I love your energy, dude. I, seriously, like, I know you've invested here, you know, in, in the, the psychology of excellence. I feel it. And so I feel your curiosity and I, I feel your energy about it. And you're exactly the type of folks I love to spend time with because it's like, hey, how about this? And how about that? And okay, how do we, how do we get right there and then execute there? And I think this fits square down the mission, you know, our shared mission. Or is this off a little bit, but is it going to get us that, like... Dude, that's the right stuff there. That's okay, the fun stuff. So, um, I actually forgot your question. I was I was kind of enthralled by the, the the nature of it more than the, yeah, the material no, I mean, of it. it. Like you've done so much work, and earlier you were talking about just like the foundation that you set. Like yeah. you're not having a, a skyscraper without that foundation, and you hit on a few of the, the key frameworks. Like the first principles you go to. I'm just wondering what some of those other ones where you're like, Sean, these these are essential for anyone. I, I'm wondering how you view that. Okay, that's a cool question. I I. I think it's a mistake for me to assume my first principles would work for anybody else. So um, I'm happy to share some of my first principles. And I'm, I, I also kind of get kind of, you know, in my head a little bit about it, like, no, create the space to, so the first principles are true for you. And so how do you, there we go. So how do you get to that place? How are you creating that space? There's three ways that I understand how to do it. And one is, 
mindfulness practice. So listening, watching, observing. Um, there's two types of meditation or mindfulness, right? Contemplative, where you're observing thoughts and emotions and experiences without judgment and critique. And so there's a observational learning uh, that takes place there to get to the essence of things, to get to the truth, if you will. And so that's one way. And then the other type of meditation, just to not leave that hanging out there, is single point focus, where you relentlessly, uncommonly focus on one thing for an extended period of time. And that also creates um, a, a, a more of a dissonance when, when, you rec- when you're focusing on one thing and you have this kind of pounding <laughs> or um, pulsing thought stream that is pulling you out of that, like that's really important as well. But that second also trains you to be more present, right? Because you're refocusing, refocusing. That's not what you asked. You asked, what are the practices? Mindfulness is a practice. Journaling is a meaningful practice because it's a forcing function to get some words you know, from your native tongue to get the words down on paper. And then the third is uh, conversations with people of wisdom. And if those people of wisdom listen more than they talk, which normally people of wisdom you know, will do that, is then you, you can learn from them by exploring concepts. And so those are the three best practices. That last one makes me think of an axiom you have, and it's through relationships we become. That's like your relationship with stress, adversity, but with other people as well. Yeah. Like, when, when, when did that formulate for you? Well, I think, my, I think my wife was my first teacher there. I mean, certainly my parents built a foundation, um, but my wife was my first teacher um, about, you know, moving from conditions to unconditions, you know, and so moving from kind of commitment to full commitment, you know, like, and so my wife was my first teacher there. And I'll just pause here for a moment because oftentimes people want to ask about like, okay, what, what can I learn from world's best? And, you know, what are some of the common themes and practices and principles and blah, blah, blah. And what's the science? I think that there's a common thread here now that many folks that play the long game of expressing their potential. So it goes over multiple gener- um, multiple decades uh, and then crosses from sport to business, as an example, or from arts to something or whatever, is that um, intimate relationships are really important, like maybe at the foundation. So uh, I just, I think it's, that's so, so foundational as a first principle for me. So, so there's one there. My wife has been that for me. And then the second is my mentor from a young age, uh, same mentor I was mentioning earlier, um, was just, he was just all about it. And so he's got an influence in the science of psychology and also Native American principles. And so it's like, um, remember you are nature. And so nature's not the ocean. That is nature too. The nature... Nature is not the ocean alone or the park or the tree or whatever. You are nature. And so this whole ecosystem, this external world around you works in um, balance or disbalance, imbalance from your internal ecosystem. So what are you going to do? More like, yeah, build, build the relationships. And so that's where those are where those principles begin and hopefully don't end. Soon. No, I love it. Yeah. You, you, we can learn so much from Mother Nature. It's, it's pretty scary. And, and like, you are Mother Nature. 100%. That's, that's, the, that's the deal now, right? Is that we're not separate from, but we, we create all these right angles. We use 
in COVID, we're using jail term language, you know, like COVID, it sound, does it sound like it's, you know, a, a living thing? It is. <laughs> no, we want to make it like an enemy. We want to make it, we want to quarantine. We want to isolate. We want to inoculate. Like, holy, like, what are we doing? Honestly, we got, as humans, we love right angles. We love jail term, kind of military frameworks, um, which is power and control, which is not harmony and, and synergy and, and whatever. And so I think that when teams work at their best, they're more like a, a, a flock of birds that are vibing off each other and twisting and turning in harmony than, um, and even a pack of hyenas, if you want to see it that way. But they know that together they're swarming and surrounding and there's a, there's a um, connectedness to what they're doing. And so um, whatever, you, I, I like the birds analogy better than the hyenas, but hyenas are fun too. All no, there's a, there's a synchronicity to it. Yeah. All that being said is like, we are mother nature and all of, anytime we're using right angles in our language or in our behaviors or in what we're building and my home has right angles. So I'm, I'm part of the problem too, but uh, the right angles are um, problematic. I think, especially from a psychological standpoint. Yeah. Mike, I, I've been blacked out here in terms of the time. Do you have a heart out right now? We're, we're not going to go much longer. I just want to know if you got to jump off. Hey dude, you, you got me in. I'm in. This is, this is one of my occupational hazards is that I get lost in what I'm doing. And so I've, I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation, Sean. Yeah, so am I. I'd actually love to explore the, the element of nature a bit more. You know, like some people, they, they go through life, they never even wake up to that, that, that we are part of that for you. Like, wh- where did that come from? Um, first principles from, you know, first people. And so first people, the natives, um, I am enthralled. I am, I'm gripped by the, their philosophical approach to life and um, I'm deeply entrenched in science. And so it's that, that modern science meets ancient traditions that, um, you know, that intersection I find to be fascinating and hard, you know, and so that's where it comes from. And that's, that's primarily influenced from my mentor that I was sharing with you. When you mention it's hard, what do you, what exactly do you, mean, do you mean by that? Well, because many first principles, I'm sorry, many of the ancient traditions and wisdoms are um, so appealing to me, but then science doesn't back them up. And then, you know, the stuff that's happening in a laboratory, uh, it's hard to translate that into practice oftentimes. So natural experiments are really um, special to me, you know, things that happen in the natural environment, but they're hard to have enough control to have certainty over. And so that's that the, the, the art of science is taking what happens in the laboratory and mapping it into the real world in a meaningful way to, in my line of profession is to help advance the human condition, the human experience, if you will. And some of those early principles, whether they're world religions or the native philosophies that I'm talking about, like those things don't map. There's, they've been around for years and they don't map well to science. And so which ones, which ones do you work to create the crosswalks? And that's, to me, that's one of the hard problems in science. So there's three hard problems, you know, that, that we talk about in science. 
uh, consciousness being one of them that sits in psychology. And this is the, the application of science is for me, it's embedded under one of the, uh, the three hard problems uh, uh, in science alone. So I just want to add that to the, <laughs> to the wrinkle is that knowing how to apply science is really quite tricky. No, I, I love your, uh, your framing there, create the crosswalks. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah right. Man, it's just like, like you can, you can just tell, like having this conversation, like you do the work, but I actually want to explore like the work that you do that we wouldn't even be aware of, right? Like we know you're putting in the work to be able to be there for those world-class athletes. But, but I even mentioned like, you're one of the best presenters I've ever seen. And so there's this whole other depth and element that you must be working on. Like how much do you think about that overall? Let's just call it performance for you. Like what are the, what are the levers you're, you're pulling there? Well, I think for me, thank you for the compliment. I, um, what I want to do is I, I, my purpose is really clear. And so I can't, I can't figure out how to meaningful advance my purpose without partners, without support, without communities, without, you know, uh, other people that are switched on about it too. So when I am presenting, if you will, whether it's a, and presenting for me is like, it conjures up like a keynote or some sort of workshop that I might be given for a company. That's where I feel like the only time I'm presenting. And when I'm doing that, it is laddered to purpose. And if like, I don't know if you have an intimate loved one or if you have a child or, you know, or a parent for that matter, but if your love for them and is really clear, you'll do whatever it takes. You jump in front of a bus. And so that's how it feels for me when I go on stage, like this purpose really fucking matters to me. And so um, I'm going to come from my most authentic place because that's all I know how to do when the purpose is clear. And anytime I'm not coming from that place, I'm, I'm wrong. And so that it's per- being purpose-driven and then um, it keeps me up at night. It's, it's what keeps, you know, like that's the thing that I'm waking up thinking about, like how to build on those axioms that, you know, through relationships will become, you know, how do we build the, the right systems in place and the right connections with people to help unlock human potential by helping people live in the present moment more often. Like that is my purpose, help people live in the present moment more often. Well, shit, we got to train. We got to train our minds. We got to get some frameworks in place for people to go, oh, I, oh yeah. And part of that is like embracing that um, it ain't so good for you sometimes, you know? So like, what is the suffering? You know, like, where's your pain? And let's get real now. And so if we can do that together, because that's what I need to do. Like, I've crashed and burned too many times. And I'm not going to... Fake it till you make it is bullshit, dude. It just doesn't work. And so bringing that into into, uh, the things that keep me up at night and the investment in myself and others, it just feels like, what else else are we supposed to do? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're making my hair stand up right now. I love this. <laughs> One of the things I feel like early on people are still wrestling with is like, they're like, I've got my purpose. They feel like they have it. And then the, those hard times come in. It's like, am I fulfilling my purpose when, when I'm meeting these challenges or am I just in the wrong direction, right? Like the yeah. fundamental first order question, am I on the right ship here set, setting sail? How do you figure that one out? Well, I think 
um, you will be on the wrong ship sometimes when you lay some bets, you know, like hopefully not too often, but pur- yeah. but, pur- you know, but purpose is, um, and if you get on the wrong ship, know how to swim, know how to, know how to get a dinghy, you know, like figure some stuff out, you know, there's a scrappiness there, but, but purpose is, it might change. You don't have to get a face or neck tattoo of your purpose. Mine has changed and it might change again. Um, this one feels really big to me and it feels important to me. So I'm going to, I'm going to play the long game on it. But it, um, I'm completely open that it might change, you know, because I will be better tomorrow than I am today. And so when I am better, I, I might know better and be able to do better. And I'm, I might be able to see things differently and say it differently. But so I, I think that it's give yourself space, but then also um, talk about it with others, meditate about it, write about it. And when you do those three, it starts to um, be real. You know when it's not totally real. You know when your hair stands up. You know when your throat swells up when you tar- start talking about something. And so you are your greatest calibration tool about what true north is. And if you don't create the space to get to you know, putting the wayfinders on the compass, then it becomes very hard to go through life. And the external world and what other people want you to be and want you to do will win. And so creating that space, like I said, conversations with wise people, um, journaling and mindfulness are are the three practices that have been materially important for me. Man, Mike, this is just such a beautiful conversation. I I know we're going to be pulling the ship in here in a minute. Uh, I'm wondering though, you you mentioned some of that, that, that ancient Indian wisdom, where else do you go or have you gone for some of that just like timeless, true wisdom? Well, um, yet natives uh, have much to offer, and there's a romancing of that too that I want to be careful of. Is that like, you know, it's, it's like the conversations around samurai. You know, um, there's a romancing of that too. There's, there's, uh, without. I want to make sure that I'm not being naive with you. That there's one source in one place. Like there's a there's a. Um, there's a luxury that I get to have to, to kind of skim across and drop down in depth in, in places that I'm choosing or that I'm include or being invited in. But then I wish I knew more and I wish I understand deeper. So I am, I am kind of moving across the top layers of, of many of these and, and depth in a few, like I said. But where's the source, if you ask, um, It needs to go through a filter. And so that filter is materially important. So it's not, the filter is your understanding of how you can make sense of these principles that have been around for thousands of years. And it's not just blindly adopting what their first principles are, but it's working from how would I, or how could this, or does, does that make any sense to me? Like, you know what doesn't make sense to me? You know, um, praying to the rain god. I don't get it. I think that we know a little bit better. <laughs> Maybe not, you know, but like, so there's things that, you know, and yeah. then mm-hmm. I'll share this with you. A professor said this to me. Um, it was a course on um, Buddhism, Christianity, and Confucianism, and the, the philosophy and practice of all three of them. This was, uh, this was an undergraduate. And so my minor was in philosophy, my degree was in psychology 
and then just to kind of play it forward for your audience is that my master's was in um, exercise science and then my PhD was in psychology, licensed as a psychologist specialization in sport and performance. And so I said to him, I go, I go, wait, you know what I love about Confucianism is A, B, and C. You know what I love that uh, Buddha did was bang, 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 bang. And how about Jesus and Christianity? Like, holy moly, like A, B, and C. And I, what if I took those nine principles? And he, <laughs> he smugly looks at me. He goes, oh, so you think you're a little bit better than Jesus, Confucian, and Buddha together? <laughs> you know, like, like, come on, dude. You know, like, so I... I I, I caution by saying it has to go through a filter, in, but that's the way that I'm, do, I'm doing. I'm still, you know, I, I respect you, Dr. Cusio. You know, actually, it was Dr. Perkins. I remember him. Uh, Dr. Perkins, like when you said that to me, but I don't know another way. So um, it's reading, uh, be familiar with the stuff that has stood up over time. So read the Gita, the Bhagavad Gita. Read, um, read the Bible or have some interpretation, you know, of the reading, because it's, it's a tricky one. You know, uh, read from Taoism, the Lao Tzu, what Lao Tzu had to write, you know, from the Tao Te Ching. You know, read some of the koans from um, Buddhism and uh, Confucianism. Like, like, get into some of the first principles, and then read, like, authors that have stood up over time as well. And so that, that's how I do it. You know, so I'm much more interested in uh, journals, journal articles from science and the, the ancient wisdoms that have stood up over time. So that's why I spend most of my time reading. I love it. Say, say one of those ancient sages you can sit down with, just an unobstructed conversation. Who are you going with? Can I, can I pick those three or those four, including Lao Tzu? I mean, that'd be, yeah. Yeah, that'd be one hell of a conversation, yeah, right? Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I think I've got to, um, I got I to gotta hang with Jesus, you know, um, he was on to some cool shit, and and equally like Buddha, and I, I'm I, out of those three, I'd be less interested in in sitting with Confucia, but I would like to sit with the legendary Lao Tzu. Yeah. You know, it, it's 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 not even known if he existed or not. You know, but have you have you spent any time with the Tao Te Ching? Oh yeah, I've spent a lot. It's crazy. I've got, I've gone really deep there. Yeah, yeah that's that's one I'm like, ooh, I would I would love if he if he if he was a single person, like to have that conversation. Yeah, I just don't know what I get out of it. I feel like I get another riddle, and I'd be like, damn it. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> hey man, I need you right now. <laughs> Where I feel like if it was a conversation with Jesus or Buddha, they'd be like, yeah, it's it's all right, man. Just put your put your heart in the right place. You'd be okay. Yeah. You know. So if you're, I think they remind me of the heart. And sometimes I get all caught up in my head. So I love it. Yeah, man. And like this is this it's just too good. Oh, it, it really is. I'm telling you, we, we talk about like those people that are transformational. Um, you know, it's just like, man, each time it's just like steps are taken in like that that continual arrows of progress. Anytime I'm like listening or having a conversation with you. So I just want to thank you. Oh, dude. Uh, this is awesome. I appreciate your kindness in it. And thank you for including me in your community and thank you for creating a meaningful community. I'm stoked that we're going to give a few out here to the courses and um, whatever I can do to support you guys in other ways, like, you know, let me know. Hell yeah. I need, All right. So I we're going to have everything. Hey dude, I need help. I need help on this, this mission and purpose. Like I need help. So, um, so let me know, please. <laughs> you, you know, I'm bought in. Yeah, so we're, we're going to have everything linked up any, anywhere immediately you want to direct to the listeners. Um, we'll have it all linked up, but anywhere they should check out right now. Yeah, there's a couple places. You know, social media is fun because it's it's like a place where you can find most stuff. And so on my social media, it's at 
Michael Gervais, G-E-R-V-A-I-S. And then we've also got at Finding Mastery. Both of those are, um, Instagram is probably a, a better place there. LinkedIn is cool. Um, I'm active there as well. Same thing, Michael Gervais. And then the websites, um, there's two. We're going to fold, we're going through a, a merger right now. We're going to fold two brands and create like one Halo brand uh, that's taking some thoughtfulness there. But so we're folding two in. But right now, uh, Finding Mastery is the podcast. And so it's findingmastery.net. And then for the business bit, it's called Compete to Create. And that's compete to create.net. And so you can find bits and pieces on both, but we're in the mish, in the middle of creating a merger between those two companies and entities and hopefully creating a halo brand that, um, that is really clear. So we're doing some of that creative dive right now. Awesome. I love it. Mike, I can't thank you enough for joining us on what got you there. Hey, Sean, appreciate you. You guys made it to the end of another episode of what got you there. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.